lot of times, whether you grew up in the church or whether you, you have no exposure to church previous, maybe to even coming this morning, chances are that you have heard somewhere that the church is not a building, it's people. But a lot of times when we're talking about the church, this group of people, that's about as far as we go. We just say this, this group of people uh, is, is the church, and that's a great thing, and we shouldn't think that the church is, is tied to a specific building or a specific location. What I want to do is I want to use that as a foundation, that indeed that is true. The church is not uh, located in any specific location or, or housed inside of any, certain, any particular facility. Uh, the church is made up of people. But I want to use that as a foundation and begin to explore truths and questions like what are these people to do? What is the defining mark of these people? Uh, and, and begin talking about what it means to be part of this community called the church. And so that's, that's really where I want to go with this series. It's, we're going to be spending the next six weeks uh, on this. Uh, it'll lead us right into Easter Sunday. And so we'll finish on Palm Sunday, and then we'll start our brand new series on Easter. And so I'm really excited uh, to be traveling this journey with you over the next six weeks. I encourage you to be here every single week. Uh, don't miss a single week. If you miss one, all of our messages are available by podcast, or you can stream them from the website. And we know that many of you do that when you're, when you're gone, and we would love for you to do that. Tell a friend about it. Uh, maybe you have a friend that's just not sure that they want to check out church. Point him to the podcast. Have them listen to a message just to get a feel of what our church is all about. So that resource is there for you. We encourage you to make use of it, okay? Uh, so that's what we want to do over the course of the next six weeks. And uh, I want to start with a foundational message uh, found in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, so if you have your Bible with you, or there's some Bibles in the, in the racks under the chairs, somewhere in your zip code there, there's a Bible. Uh, so you can follow along with me, or you can pull the Bible up on your phone, or your iPad, or your Blackberry, or whatever it is. Nobody uses Blackberries anymore, that's right. Nice. If you have a Blackberry, I'm sorry about that. We also have our digital Bible that we've brought. So, uh, so here it is, Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through 18. It says this, Now when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Now, coincidentally, that is a question that all of us must address in our lives. Who do you say Jesus is? We, all of us, have to come to terms with this man that has changed history, whether you believe in him or you don't. You cannot deny the fact that Jesus is one of the most prominent figures in our culture. And you have to address this question, who do you say he is? And Jesus is, is challenging the disciples to come to that determination. What about you, he says, who do you say that I am? Now Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of death, or hell, or Hades, will not overcome it. On this rock I will build my church, and all the gates 
and all the efforts of Hades will not overcome it. I, want to read, I wanted to read those five verses so that we could get a little bit of context. But what I want to focus in on today is, is right here in verse 18. That you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now the first question we have to ask is that Jesus is talking about building his church on a rock. Is he talking about Dwayne Johnson? No. Or any of the movies that are quite awful that Dwayne Johnson has been in. Clearly, Jesus is not talking about that, okay? He's not talking about a wrestler slash actor slash whatever else he does for a living, okay? So the question really is, we, we have to define, is, is, is Jesus saying that on, on Peter, Simon Peter himself, that particular person in history, will Jesus build his church on him? Or will Jesus be building his church upon his confession? That's the, really the question that we have to address. And, and I think that there's a little bit of a both going on here. Because on this rock, Jesus will build his church. Now let's get a little bit of context. Uh, in the ancient world, there's all kinds of anticipation for the Messiah. The, the, the anointed king who would come and set the nation of Israel free uh, from, from oppression, bring justice, bring peace to a nation. And so there's all kinds of, of anticipation looking forward to this king who would rise, the one who would be called the Messiah, who would finally set the people of God Free, But the issue was they didn't know who it was. They didn't know where he was. They didn't know what he would do or when he would come. There was all this kind of anticipation, but that anticipation was surrounded by mystery of who and when and where and what. All the W's were not answered in, in, when it comes to this anticipation of the Messiah, the King who would come. Now some assumed that the Messiah would come as a warrior and, and just totally demolish all of Israel's enemies and, and finally establish uh, Israel and set them free from all oppression. Some thought that he would come and purge the temple and begin to establish true and authentic worship. So there was all kinds of mystery around this anticipation of the one who would come. And so, any time that a potential Messiah arised, there was all kinds of, um, of negative action toward them. There was all kinds of, um, what's the right word? What's the word that I'm looking for? There was all kinds of trouble surrounding them. You guys, get, I'm struggling here, but just stick with me, all right? I'm not, I can't find the word that I'm looking for. Uh, but, but there's all kinds of trouble that surrounds anyone that would rise as a potential Messiah. And so the, this confession from Peter that Jesus is in fact the Messiah is a risky one. That any time that you would proclaim that someone in fact is the Messiah, you are at risk of someone coming against you for fear that they did not believe, that because they did not believe the same thing. And so it's a risky thing, this confession of Peter. But Peter, nonetheless, when Jesus presses into him and says the question, who do you say that I am? Peter takes the risk. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now I pray that many of you as we walk through this series, 
And as you deal with this question for yourself in your own life of who is this Jesus, I pray that many of you would come to that same realization that this Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the one of whom the prophets have spoken about for thousands of years, the one around whom all this anticipation was pointing to the reality This man was not just the mouthpiece of God. He was not just a good prophet. He was not just one who performed miracles. He was truly the Son of God. But we still haven't answered the question. What is the rock that Jesus is talking about? And here's here's what I want to say to you, that if Peter is prepared to make this risky declaration about Jesus, that you are the Messiah, then Jesus, in turn, is prepared to say that with this allegiance, with this allegiance to him, the Son of God, the true Messiah, Peter would be the foundation for a new building. And I'm not talking about a physical building, but the building of a brand new community. And so you, you ask, is it the confession or is it Peter? And I say, yes, both and. That Jesus, in this specific declaration that he is the Messiah, there's a brand new movement that begins, a movement that would eventually spread the entire world of, of a community that is built upon the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the long-awaited Messiah. And so right here, in this moment, a movement starts that those who will give their allegiance to Jesus as the true Messiah will become the people of God that God uses to work in the world to bring his new creation about, to make his kingdom realized in the world. And Peter is the starting point of that movement. Are you with me? It's a both and. Now the story gets very interesting from here. Because we're going to talk about the church and this foundation of the church. And some of you are here today because a friend drug you here. Maybe a family member drug you here. You've been hearing all about it, and you just came just to get them off your back. I'm just going to come this one Sunday, and then I'm going to be done with it. But the truth is, you have a real issue with the church. And the reason you have an issue with the church is because the people in the church are what you call hypocrites. They're not perfect. They don't, they don't always act like they should as followers of the Messiah. You look at the Messiah and you look at his followers and you say how there's a disconnect there. And if that's what it means to be Christian, then I don't want any part of it. Or if that's what it means to be Christian, then obviously it doesn't make any difference. What's interesting is that right after Peter declares, Jesus, you are the Messiah and the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church. Right after that, Peter denies him three times. As Jesus is walking to the cross to die for the world and the, and, the, and the sin of the world and taking upon himself the sin of the world, when really pressed in, do you know this man or who do you say this man is? Peter denies him three times. Let me tell you something about the church. Right off the bat, it's not made of perfect people. And we have got to come to grips with that. You've got to come to terms with the fact that the people who gather together to give God honor and glory and praise and do their best to follow him are not always going to act perfectly. 
And Jesus knew this. Jesus said, I've come not for those who are already well, but I've come for those who are sick. Let me tell you today that if you're struggling with this reality of the church and you look at it and you say the church is full of nothing but hypocrites and I don't want any part of it today, then let me tell you something that you have to realize. The church is not a social club for the perfected. It's a hospital for the sick. And the reason that I hope that you're here so that you can begin to take all the pieces that are broken in your lives, all the areas of your life that you need God to work, I hope that you're here today not out of obligation and not out of habit. I hope that you've gathered here today as a community of believers out of expectation that God might take those broken pieces, those wounded pieces, those pieces that need help and begin to put them back together. Because the church is not a social club for the perfected. It's a hospital for the sick. And we've got to come to grips with that. The very person that denied Jesus three times was the very rock on which Jesus said, I'll build my church. And here's another thing that flows right out of this. It's God's church. If it belonged to people that were supposedly perfect then it would be a broken down institution and would have failed years ago. But we have to realize that Jesus says, upon this rock, this confession, this moment of confession, I will build a movement that will last all eternity. And I will begin to build a community around this confession that I am the true Messiah, the long-awaited one, the true Son of God. But listen to what he says, I will build my church. Let me say to you today, it's God's church. This global, worldwide community of believers belongs to the Messiah. And He has promised to build it. I wonder how many times once we get involved in church... And once we kind of get going in church, that we oftentimes think that it's our, we think that it's our church. And we begin to take ownership back from the one who said that he would build it. I'm sure that never happens to you. Listen, I want to share with you three ways that we deny that it's God's church. Three ways. Now, I have three points. This is the second point. With three subpoints. For those of you who like the outline, type A. I know you're out there and you wish that every Sunday I would give you a little fill in the blank thing. You're like, I'm going to go to church that fills in the blanks. You know, so for, for those of you that are here today, first point, right? The, the, the confession, the, the rock is the confession and Peter who begins a movement. Point number two, it's his church. Subpoint number one, under point two. Are you with me now? Here we go. Three ways that we deny that it's God's church. The first one is what I call church blocking. Church blocking. Now, blocking in sports is for the explicit purpose of keeping the other team from from winning or coming against you or getting on your territory. It is for the expressed purpose of allowing your team to do what you're going to do so that you can win. And the essence of blocking is to say there are two teams. One opposed to the other. 
Now, I, you guys know that I'm not very much of a sports, ban, sports fan, but I understand the, the essence of blocking, all right? So blocking. And I wonder how many times we deny that it's God's church by seeking and doing some church blocking ourselves. Right, Because we have to realize that in this confession, in this, this declaration, this proclamation, that Jesus himself is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, there is inherent unity in that. You go, for those of you that have ever been on a mission trip, you know this. Why? Because you went to a church where you couldn't understand the language, you had no idea what they were singing, and yet you felt connected to them. People from a totally different culture, far so far removed from the world in which you live. And you can't understand a word of what is going on, but you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in that place. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those of you that have been on a mission trip, you've seen it happen, you've experienced it. In this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, there is inherent unity. But sometimes we deny that unity. And we draw really strict lines. And we draw and we separate ourselves from other people who are also confessing that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, some, one of the ways that we do this are denominationally. Now, let me say right up front that I'm in favor of denominations. I'm not one of these guys that says we ought to, uh, we ought to just have one, one group of people and all that kind of stuff. Denominations are good. And the reason I think they're good is because they create, they, they, create um, they allow for good accountability, for raising up leaders, for raising up pastors. They, they provide good structure, good organization, all of these things. Like I am not a guy that says we ought to get rid of denominations. They are there for a purpose, and that purpose is good. The issue is when we make denominations a boundary line that we cannot cross. And we say, I can't have fellowship with you. I can't talk with you. We can't be in community with one another because you don't believe all the same things I believe about these kind of sideline issues. So let me ask you today, that denomination that you're mad about, do they proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of the living God? Never mind about their organization. Never mind about how you feel about their leaders. Are they preaching the gospel? Because there's an inherent unity in that. And we shouldn't go around blocking the churches based on our denominational lines, drawing these strict lines of community that says, if you're part of this camp, then, I can't, then we can't be in community. It is time to jump the boundary lines and start making some friends in the other camp. Because if we together can say, let's build the kingdom of God, you in your way, us in our way, your style of worship, our style of worship, our way of doing liturgy, liturgy is the order in which we, we worship together, our liturgy, your liturgy, are we together under one umbrella that proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? And you know what I see so often? is Christians trashing on other Christians. And it makes me sick. Because if they proclaim this proclamation, this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, it is time to restore honor in the church. 
It is time for us to restore honor in the church among one another. Because what Jesus establishes in this moment and builds upon this confession is one community. A global community. Are you with me? And some of you are, are like, amen. Some of you are like, I'm not sure yet. And that's all right. That's all right. If you want to know about denominations and what they believe, and if you're concerned about that, ask them one question. Who do you say Jesus is? Not what do you believe about the end times. Not what do you say about tongues and tongue speaking. Not what do you say about spiritual gifts. Who do you say Jesus is? And then the value of denominations in different local communities is for all of those other issues. What do you say about tongues? I line up with that. What do you say about spiritual gifts? I, I, I line up with that. How do you go about ministry in your city? I line up with that. And so you find yourself in a local community, but part of a global community. It's not that those things that I just mentioned are unimportant. They are important. But they shouldn't be the lines by which we draw in between our communities. Here's a big one. What's your political stance? Who are you voting for this presidential election? You want to talk about some fast and hard lines being drawn. Right? Let me tell you, who someone votes for is no grounds to hate them if they're a brother in Christ. Or even if they're not a brother in Christ. Who someone votes for and their political stance is no reason to draw a line of division and refuse community with them or be mad at them or question their faith. Who do they say Jesus is? There is inherent unity in this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, he got quiet all of a sudden when I started talking about politics. And I know you're not supposed to talk about politics or sex or anything else in the church, but we're talking about it, all right? Woo! You guys got to help me out. (laughs) Here's the problem. Many churches hate on other churches. And we declare what we are against rather than what we are for. And it's time for the global body of Christ to come together and say we are for God. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and the proclamation of his kingdom. Can we restore honor? Here's the other thing. Some of you are not like, I mean, you're like, I've been non-denominational my whole life, and, and you, that whole denominational thing doesn't really, doesn't really uh, connect with you. But a lot of times we block other churches just based on what we've heard about them or an experience we've had. Maybe they hurt us. Uh, maybe you left the other, that, that church because they didn't call when you were sick or, or the pastor didn't do something that you felt like he should have done or he did something that you found real offensive. And, and so we, we stop going to that church. And then when we find a community, we're like, you know, those people over it, wherever the target is, we're like, man, they don't have it together. And you know, that pastor did this. Oh, man, I'm glad you'd never do that. <laughs> okay, note to self, you know. <laughs> Make sure and call that person. Or, you know, I mean, listen to me. A lot of times we block based on our experience. 
And I would encourage you to make unity this thing that drives us. Because when we, when we refuse to do that, we're denying that it's his church and we're making it our church. We're making it about us and not him. Now, this is actually something that the, 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 the original, the first church dealt with, right? Because what was happening is that the first believers were, were struggling with the same thing. The Jews were discovering that Jesus was the Son of God. They themselves were, were making this, this proclamation. He was the long-awaited Messiah. But then, G, then, then Paul started telling the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles and, all, and the Jews. And the, the brand-new Christians were like, hold up. Hold up. They can't be part of this club. You're going to go speak to them? But they don't have all the marks of of being a good Jew. They don't follow the same laws. They they, they worship differently than us. In fact, they don't even worship at all. You can't call what they do worship. Right? They, they, They dealt with this same issue of who's in the club and who's not. Listen to Romans chapter 3. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement and through the shedding of his blood to be received by them. Do they proclaim by faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God? Then they are brought into this community that Jesus is building. It's his church. Don't make it about you. In your lines of division. And again, those things are important. Align yourself with a church where you agree with those things. But don't make those the line of division. And some of you are like, I'm loving this. I'm all on board with this, boy. And some of you take this idea of unity way too far. And you do the second thing. Second subpoint under point two. And you have such an overblown view of unity in the body of Christ that you practice church hopping. Oh, it's going to get real quiet now. <laughs> right? The first way of denying that Jesus, that it's God's church, is church blocking us versus them. Our team, your team. But sometimes that becomes so overblown. That we church hop. And we're like, oh man, it doesn't matter what church I go to. It's all in the body of Christ, right? Let me tell you something today. The global body of Christ always and only exists in local communities. And there's value in gathering together inside of your community. Now, there's no verse in the Bible that says you shouldn't go from church to church. And so some of you are like, well, show me the verse. I love how, I love how, I love how people do that. They're like, show me one verse. And I'm like, let's take the whole of Scripture, you know. Show me the one verse about church hopping. It's not there. I can't show it to you. I can't show you a verse that says don't hop from church to church. The reason is because in the early church, when when these scriptures, these letters that we have were being written, we have no reason to believe that there was a multitude of gatherings in any one town like there is today. Like right now, I mean, I mean, church. You look up church. You Google Church Fort Collins, and all you got like a buffet, you know. And some of you are like, oh, it's a buffet. 
of churches. So today, I'm going to go here, and then next week, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to, I'm going to dip my little toe in here for a little bit, and then I'm really, oh, they don't have it all together like I thought they did, so I'm going to go over here, and we hop all over. But we don't have any real scriptures about against church hopping is because each community had one gathering of believers. If you were a believer in Corinth, you went to the gathering of believers in Corinth. That was it. But what we do have is this. Hebrews 10.25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. Now, back in the day, um, we used to have Sunday morning church and then Sunday night church. And Sunday night church was, was different than Sunday morning church, but you know, most of the same people would come back, and, and it was, that was kind of the discipleship avenue of the church. Uh, so Sunday school uh, was the entry point of the church. That was the evangelism. A lot of people would, would enter church for the very first time in Sunday school. Then they would go to Sunday morning church that same morning. And then if you wanted discipleship to really dig into the word, you would go to Sunday night. Well, when all of that kind of structure started shifting and churches began saying there's a different avenue of discipleship that makes more sense in our culture uh, and Sunday, Sunday night was being canceled, a lot of believers were like, oh, Hebrews 10.25, do not not give up the gathering of one another. And they pointed to this verse to defend the Sunday night church. That's not, that's not what is being talked about here. Do not, let, do not uh, stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encourage one another. Let me tell you something. If you are not meeting with a particular community, if you're dipping your toe in five, six, seven different pools, you're not gaining the quality of relationship among those communities that is necessary for two things. Them to encourage you and you to be an encouragement. In fact, I would say, in fact, we're going to do a whole sermon on this in this series. But I would say that the primary, the rise of church hopping is because we live in such a consumeristic culture that church becomes completely about us and what I want. And so if I can get just a little bit over here and then a little bit over here of what I want, or if I can get something over there and then hop over here and then find out that then hop over here, then what that happens is that I'm never really fully engaged in any of these communities. Or sometimes we're engaged in this community, we're invested in this community, and they've invested in us, we've invested in them, and then all of a sudden something happens. And instead of conversation, instead of prayer, instead of working through it together, we say, oh, they offended me, and we hop. I knew it'd be quiet. But hopping from place to place is a denial that it's his church. And you're making it about you and not him. You're making it about your consumeristic needs and not building into the life of the community. And let me tell you today that you will never reach the full potential of life in the community of God if you are hopping from place to place. So if you're here today and you're a hopper, it's time to stop the hop. Uh, I worked a long time on that. Not make it fun, but I'm serious. It's time to stop the hop. 
Someone over here is laughing because I can't say that without people <laughs> laughing. But it's all good. You're lucky I just didn't write a little tune for it because I was tempted to do that. There's been a time in the history of this church where we had someone come and they were in and out for for several months and just really trying to discern where God would have them. And uh, they came to me and said, we're we're in. We've spent months praying about it. Uh, We've spent months kind of coming in and out, trying different communities. And uh, we're in. And we want to join as covenant partners. We want to take that, that step of commitment to this local body of Christ and the expression of ministry for the kingdom through Emmaus Road. And I said, great. You know, we've been, we've been praying for you. We've been trying to support you as you walk through this process. And uh, two weeks after they joined as covenant partners, uh, they got an invitation to another church. And uh, instead of saying, you know, thank you so much, but I have a church home, and we're really excited about getting involved there, they saw that as the Holy Spirit calling them to another place after two weeks. And it broke my heart because they had spent so much time discerning, seeking what God's will is for them because finding a church home is, an, is important. But when you, when you discern that, when you invest yourself in a community and then at the drop of a hat go somewhere else, you're robbing yourself of life in the kingdom of God through authentic community in his body. Do you hear me today? I think church hopping is one of the the primary diseases in the church right now. In fact, I recently heard a a statistic that more than half of all Christians regularly attend some part of the ministry of two or more churches. Churches. And that's okay, I understand that for a season or if, if you're really trying to discern, but, but let me just encourage you today. Find a place to belong. Get plugged in. Serve there. Be an encouragement to people there. And then open yourself up to them so that they might be an encouragement to you. And let me also just say this. I know that there are times and seasons to change churches. There are reasons for that. And don't misunderstand me today. When you are a part of a church for many, many years, you're heavily invested in there, and then after much prayer, after much counsel, you decide that God is moving you on to another church. That's not church hopping. What I'm talking about is this, this where's the coolest place? What, where's, what's happening that's most exciting? rather than really investing ourselves in a community that is investing in you. Do you hear me today? Please don't misunderstand me. Here's the other thing that I want to say to you. Actually, i got a lot more that I want to say to you about church hopping. <laughs> I want you to have in mind the wake. You guys know what a wake is? A boat comes by and it leaves a wake. Every one of you, when you move on from this community... For whatever reason, you move away, you hop to the next place. Because let's all be honest, some of you will still do that. Every one of you will leave a wake in this community. 
And it will either be a positive wake or a negative wake. And in other words, your life, your investment, leaves a ripple through this whole community. And what I see happen so often is that someone, just at the drop of a hat, after investment in the community, after serving in the community, and they move on just, just without hardly any prayer or consideration, without the opportunity for conversation. And then what the community starts to say is, you know, where did, where did they go? I don't know. I've called them. I've emailed them. I've, I've done my best to, to get a hold of them. And they just won't return my calls. They just won't return any effort. To, to get a hold of them. Well, were they mad at something? Is something wrong? Was there a conflict? The negative wake. Because that builds seeds of, what's wrong with this church? What did, what did they know that I didn't? Versus have being invested in a community, serving there, loving there, open yourself up, opening yourself up to community. And then when you feel that that tinge of maybe God is moving you on or, or whatever. You go to the pastor, you go to the leader, you go to, to, to friends, you, you go to some sort of leadership in the church and say, here's what God is doing in my life. Here's where I feel like he's leading me. Then that gives us the opportunity to send you off with good graces to resource you for the next season that God has in your life. And that leaves such a positive wake because it it gives us the opportunity to celebrate God's work in your life and say, look, this person is being called to go and do this. And you've heard many times where where someone was invested in this community and, and then they left, but they're going to serve other people. And we say, how can we bless you on the way out? How can we resource you on the way out? But just keep in mind that you leave awake. This is a tough message to hear. Do you think it's a tough message to preach? You betcha. But it needs to be said. You leave awake. Be conscious of the wake. Be mindful of the wake that you leave. And here's what happens. Sometimes the church hop leads to the church block. They go hand in hand, right? And I've touched on this already, but sometimes uh, there's like offended in some way or this conflict, like the pastor didn't call you when you were sick. And you got all mad, and so you hopped, and then you blocked. Let me ask you a question. When the pastor did not call you because you were sick, did you tell anyone that you were sick? Or do you think that the leadership of the church just knows that you're in need of some pastoral care? Like, the Holy Spirit leads me, but he may not tell me that you, need, you are in need of pastoral care. Sometimes he will. But you've got to let that need known. Something was said that you didn't agree with. <laughs> that may happen every week, but we'll just let's just say, for example, for example, that something was said that you didn't agree with. And then you didn't take time to, to seek understanding, you didn't time to get any counsel, you got upset. You, you, because a new idea was brought to your mind. You got upset, the new idea was brought, you hopped and then you blocked. Just one more. You get into conflict with someone and you just decide that, man, I can't go to the same place as they go. And chances are both of you are thinking of that. So in the midst of a personal, interpersonal conflict, many churches will lose two people because they neither one can go where the other one is. And they both end up leaving. 
Let me tell you, in the midst of your conflict, are you seeking God-given resolution? Are you talking to leaders to help you work through that conflict? Or do, are you doing your best to reconcile? Or did you just say, this church is like all the rest? And you hopped and you blocked. I really thought this was going to be more encouraging than it's turning out to be, but am I sweating? Is, like, is this like dark gray now? Like, okay, Here, here's what happens. Some people grow so tired of the hop that they, ch- that they stop church altogether. So three denials that it's his church, church blocking, church hopping, and church stopping. Church stopping. Now, I understand the reasons for this. I really do. And I am sentimental to those reasons. You have a frustration with how the Bible may be taught. Maybe you're not, being, you're not able to identify with the community. Maybe you feel like you've been hurt in the church in some form or fashion, and the hurt was so deep that you decided, I don't want any part of the church. I don't want any part of organized religion. Uh, and for many of you, maybe you, you stopped going to church just simply because you're like, just from, just I don't get it. And, and why is this necessary to relationship with Christ? And, and so you just kind of stop altogether and you isolate yourself and you say, you know, I can do this Jesus thing uh, outside of the church and outside of organized religion. Uh, what I want to do if you're there today uh, is I just want to provide a little bit of perspective for you, some biblical perspective. And I'm going to give you my argument right up front. My argument is this. You can't love him and hate his church. You can't love him and hate his church. And yet I see so many... Somebody... I I also heard another statistic that said this. If all the Christians, or all the people that call themselves Christians, claim Christianity, claim Jesus but did not actively go to any church, church stoppers, if they were all gathered together into the church stopper denomination, they would be the largest denomination in Christianity today. People that have become so disgruntled with the church, and they say, I want Jesus, but I don't want the church. Let me tell you this, doing that is one of the most in-your-face denials that the church belongs to Christ. And I would argue that the two cannot be separated, but they go together. My argument is this. The church is established by God, by Jesus, in this moment that we just read, for the purpose of proclaiming his kingdom in the world. So if the kingdom of God is important to you, if the move of Jesus and the movement of Jesus and the way of Jesus is important to you, the, the organization, the community that God built to proclaim those realities that are so important to you is the church. It's like saying that all of these realities, the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, are so important to me, but the vehicle to proclaim those things is unimportant to me. In fact, so unimportant that I'm going to cast it aside 
and try to do it on my own. But let me tell you today, you cannot live the Christian life in isolation, and nor can you effectively proclaim the kingdom of God in isolation. And yet that's what so many Christians are doing today, is trying to love him, but denying the church. And you're like, well, I'm here today. I'm not denying the church. I'm in the church. And I realize that some of you may be here, but you're not here. Or there may be somebody listening online, feeling like they, have, they don't need the church or organized religion. We cannot, we cannot say that the realities that Jesus is all about and calls us to are important to us and deny the vehicle, the avenue, the way in which God organized to bring about those realities in the world. Does that make sense? Another thing is that Christ promises to protect the church. And we're going, to, we're going to end the message on that today, and I promise it won't be as long as my second point. And then this, the church is often described as the body of Christ. And the clearest picture we get of this is in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul says that there are many members, but one body. And he draws an analogy of our physical bodies and the parts of our bodies all working together for one common purpose. And he says the church is like that. There are many different uh, pieces, members, but they're all working together toward a common goal. And that would definitely speaks to the unity that we've talked about already this morning. But through this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, you are brought into a worldwide movement called the church. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that he has died and resurrected? If you believe that, If you place your faith in Christ, you are automatically brought into this global, beautiful community called the body of Christ. And some would say, I'm part of the body of Christ, but I'm not part of the church. And let me tell you today that they're interchangeable. And let me also say to you again, if this is where you're at, that that you have to realize this one important truth, one problem with your statement. That the body of Christ is only and always expressed through local communities. If you take away the local gathering of believers all around the world, all of a sudden you don't have a body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. It is the church gathering locally. And I know that there's all kinds of resources out there that you you could listen to 50 sermons a week online. You could join a discipleship group online. And I'm not opposed to online ministry, but there's something about the flesh and blood, the gathering together, the worshiping together, the, the, the choir of voices singing praise to God that builds us up, that allows us to be encouraged by one another, that places specific time in our life to hear from God. And someone said, church doesn't make any difference. So why should I go? And I don't see any difference that it's made. And I don't remember the sermons. Let me tell you, you may not remember the meal you ate last week, but it was valuable. Right? Try stop eating for six months. If you make it that far, let me know how it goes. 
Should I stop going to church for that long? And let me check in with how you're doing spiritually and how God is speaking to you and working in your life. For those of you that are church stoppers, I know the church isn't perfect. First of all, because I'm in it. Second of all, because you're in it. I'm not going to stand out here alone on that one. The church isn't perfect. But it's God's ordained way to bring about his good news. It's the community that he has gathered together for the purpose of proclaiming the kingdom to the world. And so if we all work together and together profess that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, we can change the world together. If we stop blocking, if we stop hopping and stop stopping, the church would be an unstoppable force in our world. But instead, instead of realizing that it's God's church, we've made it about us. So we've blocked, we've hopped, and we've stopped. And we have crippled the church. So could we all together realize that the promise in this passage is that Christ will build his church and realize that it's his and we are his as his community. Now the, th- the, th- the third thing and the way that this passage ends is that the gates of hell will not overcome the church. That's good news today. I love the local church, right? I would hope so. I'm a pastor. And so I probably have a little bit of an overblown view of the, of the local church, but I believe in its power. And I believe in the body of Christ as it expresses itself in local communities and denominations. I see all of these things as beautiful. Dirty, but beautiful. Not perfect, but beautiful. And I find great comfort in the fact that Jesus has promised to protect his church. This body of Christ that we've been talking about, the gates of hell, it says, will come against it. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen in a part of a church the gossip, the division over puny things just tear apart that community? And in that moment, there's a bunch of crippled Christians, a bunch of church stoppers, and the devil throwing a party because the gates of hell came against that church and they, they answered that call and they gave their allegiance over rather than realizing it's his church and he, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. Let me tell you today that we have a choice when we are part of a community. That we have a choice that when the devil's schemes and all of his, his ideas to come against this community or any other community or the community that you're a part of, when the devil comes against it, you have a choice to, to answer that, participate in the gossip, participate in the division, or have it stop with you. And I would encourage all of you to recognize the devil's schemes to bring down the church and let it stop with you. Don't participate in it. Do not divide the community. And please, for the love of God and his church, do not divide the community over one of your preferences. Realize what's important. And realize what God has called us to do. We have a mission, church. 
And the church is so distracted. And that's one of the devil's primary enemies. Or primary schemes and ideas. Is if I can just get this group of people distracted on how the chairs ought to be set up, or the color of the carpet, or the style of music, or the volume of music. If I can just get them distracted, then we've got them beat. Now we're going to do our best to set up the chairs nicely, to put it in an appropriate volume, and do all those kinds of things. Don't hear me as having non-compassion for your preferences, but hear me that the preferences cannot divide the church. Because God has promised to protect it. In New York City, you may have heard of this on the news. That there's a law being passed in New York City to have all of the churches, the church plants that are meeting in schools, kicked out of those schools. And it is displacing hundreds of churches in New York City. Let me tell you this. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There may be churches that die in the midst of that. There may be communities that that can no longer meet and disband. But the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And the church in New York City will continue to thrive because God has promised that it will thrive. 200 years from now, that organization that you love, that organization that you give your life and resources to in lieu of the church will not exist. But the church will because God has promised to to protect it. There is no better investment of your resources, whatever those resources are, than the local church. And there are great organizations doing great work, but the church is God's ordained plan to bring about his kingdom and to work for his kingdom in the world. I'm preaching way too long today, but I'm having fun, all right? In China, the government tried to shut down the Christians. They tried to shut down every Christian church and say that it was illegal For churches, Christian churches to meet. And you know what the church did? It went underground. And it thrives. And in fact, I would argue that the church in the midst of oppression thrives more than it thrives in the midst of comfort. And so when the government in the U.S. tries to start shutting down churches, I don't get all scared. I don't get all freaked out because we can move boldly and move forward in faith that God has chosen and has promised to protect his church. And it is an op- and anytime we are shut down or if we're shut down or I don't, know, I don't know much about it, I just don't freak out because God has promised to protect it. And in the midst of oppression, the church, is, the church thrives. Why? Because of God's faithfulness. And has promised to protect his church. Boldly move forward with confidence that God will protect his church so that we can go about the work that he has called us to and not get caught up in division or the devil's tricks. And together, this church, local church, Emmaus Road, let's be the community that he's called us to be. Can you do that with me? Let's be the community that God has called us to be.